0: Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Overtime, which is our weekly podcast where we get the opportunity to kind of do a deeper dive into the weekend's message. So glad that you're joining us, whether you're watching us live or if you're catching this later via podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. What we hope is that this helps you grow deeper in your relationship and your walk with Jesus Christ. So this week, we don't have a ton of questions, but we do have a conversation that we started even in week five or excuse me, on week four, this is week five. Uh, What we always say is that if you haven't already listened to the message, jump in that first. We're going to get to that in a second, but we do want to just let you know that if you are part of our church, whether that's our online church, you're here in the drive-in, or you're here in person on Sundays, we want to let you know that we are going to be doing um, two classes coming up for becoming a member. So if this is something that you would be interested in doing, what we would encourage you to do is to email Gary He's Gary Artizoni, he's our Discipleship Director here, Discipleship Pastor. You can email him at gary at clcfamily.church. The two classes that we have coming up, one of them are, is this coming Thursday, and that's on November 5th, which is a Thursday, from 7 to 8.30. And then the other class that's coming up is on November 16th, which is a Monday night from 30 to 8:30. And I would encourage you even if both of those classes you can't do the 5th or the 16th, but you're interested in becoming a member, email Gary at, Gary at clcfamily.church, and there'll be other classes that I'm sure that'll be be taking place. Both of those classes are Zoom, so you don't have to necessarily be here in person. If you're part of our online attendance, you're not really comfortable leaving your house right now, this is a great option for you to be a part of. So Want to let you know about that. So, if you have any questions regarding that or any of the other events that we have going on, the things that are happening within the life of the church, please feel free to contact us. You can text us, 610 869 2140. You can email us, info at clcfamily.church. Contact information is on our website, clcfamily.church, and/or overtime at clcfamily.church. There you so go. That's the announcements that we have for this week. I'm going to kind of turn it over to Josh and give a recap of what we were kind of talking about this week. And or I guess what we were talking about in week four because they tie in yeah absolutely before I do that I was just thinking
1: about those membership classes and one of the things I hear consistently is hey how do we know what's going on right yeah, And, and right. some of the battle is while we do a, a kind of a quick uh announcement on on Sundays for before the sermon um, we want to devote as much as that time of that time on on a weekend worship service to singing about Jesus uh worshiping Jesus and then learning about Jesus so Sunday mornings are pretty reserved for God's word. Either we're singing it, we're stating it, we're receiving it. And so, this is not a lot of time that we spend on communicating the 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 happenings around here. So, one of the, your greatest tools is just going to be the website, clcfamily.church. There is all, all there is a place on the website where you can see this week's Upcoming events, you can see what's happening in in the newsletter. Uh, Is it it its own little click? Yeah, so
0: on the website, there's a news tab, and that'll give you the quarterly publication and the weekly publication.
1: So if you want an exhaustive uh, conversation about what's going on, what babies have been born, all those things, uh, click on the the quarterly uh, publication, or you get the weekly news. That's a really great place to know what's going on. And anything is in that newsletter. You can actually click on different parts, and yeah. it'll take you right to, to where you need to be to sign up for things. So just want you to, to know what's going on, mainly because we want to do all this together, and uh, we understand communication is a big part of that. So that's going to be a good place, clcfamily.church. I guess that's forward slash news, right? Yes, Look forward slash Nice. News. Um, so uh, Sundays all about trying to either proclaim God's Word, sing, read, uh, learn God's Word, and so what we've been in for a long time is this series we were working through, the Gospel of Luke. Now, we had, had a couple of different sub-series. We started with the Gospel of Luke, that you may have certainty, now we're in Jesus for President, Jesus for King, Jesus for Lord of Lords, all those things, right? And so, uh, that's where we are right now, but we've just kind of been kind of slowly and meticulously and orderly, that's the word that Luke uses, kind of walking through the Gospel of Luke. By Gospel, we just mean good news, it's... Um, A declaration of victory and hope, that's how they would have used that word in in the first century. So there is hope and good news that's really, really important right now, guys, because depending on what you're reading or watching, even in the second, um, uh, you're not receiving a lot of good news, and the good news that you might think might be good news you're suspicious of because you don't even know what's true anymore. And so in this really, really complicated season, it just makes sense that we would tether ourselves to really good news Luke gives us that good news the good news according to Luke and what he does is he writes a biographical sketch a manuscript about Jesus's life he's hired by a political official we believe with affluence and influence to go and do the research of whether or not this political guy Theophilus could actually trust that Jesus is who he says he is in other words should Theophilus change his belief and understanding that Caesar is Lord because he knows Essentially uh, Caesar, like all of us are fallible, I'm like can't put his hope in Caesar, can't find this fulfillment in Caesar, can't get us forgiveness from Caesar. So should he should he migrate from Caesar as Lord to now declaring Jesus as Lord? So he hires a guy, Luke, who is a doctor or scientist, turned investigative journalist, who spends years, if not a decade, going and studying and researching Whether or not we can believe this and have certainty of the things that we've been taught. But again, those are Luke's words, not mine. And so this is really, really nice because all of us would like certainty. And the way you get certainty is you cling to truth. And truth, according to the scriptures, is not an idea, not a belief system, not an understanding, not something you find underneath a rock or in a book. Truth, at its base level, is actually a person. That's what Jesus says. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so what I've been doing is going... If truth is real and we can actually find it tangibly, the only place we're actually going to find it is fully in truth. I mean, in, in Jesus, because all truth belongs to God because God is truth. So find it in Jesus and then cling and tether ourselves to that truth. And so the truth, according to the scriptures, is that we do have a king and we do have a Lord and we do have a God who sits on his throne and rules and reigns and, and learning over and over again about this word called providence, which means God sees everything, including Right now, we're sitting um, in uh, the studio, which is kind of up above the sanctuary and up above the balcony. And literally right this second, I can see a big cross right there. And then there are 8, 10, 12, I think 14 voting booths in our sanctuary. And right now as we speak, people are pulling out their ballots. And they are making some decisions of who they want to be their next president. And who they want to be their next senator. And they are making those decisions. But God is seeing those things. And he is ruling and reigning in all those things. He is seeing them. He's bending and shaping them for our good and his glory. And so in this moment, the goddess, king of king, Lord of Lord, president of presidents. And so what we've been doing is trying to take our focus off the crazy political systems and putting our focus on the only system that really can sustain us, which is the system of the gospel, which is that Jesus, while all of us are sinners, Christ died for us. And so how do we put our hope in that? That's what we've been doing. And so um, what I kind of share with you for weeks is that uh, Luke writes this really long gospel, the longest of the, the four gospels, the only one that's written in complete chronological order. And he writes 1,151 verses. Of those 1,151 verses, 568 are direct quotations of Jesus speaking. And so what we kind of landed on the last two weeks is Jesus actually speaking. But here's the crazy thing. So this is written red because Jesus is speaking it, but it's actually a quotation of another guy who spoke it 700 years earlier. So Jesus is reading this scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And so he is speaking. So it's captured in the 568 different direct quotations in the Gospel of Luke. But he's quoting Isaiah. But here's the kicker. Isaiah is quoting God, who is Jesus. So Jesus is kind of speaking his words that Isaiah spoke on his behalf that, uh, that God gave to Isaiah. So he's opening them up and he's making this crazy declaration. And what he does in this declaration is he gives us a picture of what God's kingdom should look like. His stump speech, right? His, yeah. his platform. And here's what's crazy right now as, as we're doing this. I told you about the sanctuary. There's people down there, and they're wrapped around the building. We got some coffee out there for them, and we get to pray for them. And when they walk into our sanctuary, not only do they have the cross, but like literally, if you if you come on Sundays, or hopefully obviously hopefully here, is because you at least watch the sermon. You know that big flannel graph, that felt board. It's literally sitting on the stage, staring at all the people. So you got Jesus' face, and you got this felt board. And so when you walk in, and that doesn't cost you, but it, it it's there, and it's present by the way uh kind of an aside this is a long um open <laughs> opening remarks shocker um that big felt board uh i was running out of room with my small one i had a small kind of like th- three by six four by six one a chalkboard that i had at the house and put some a felt board on one side and just run out of room and so i went over to uh, nlpc our original uh, building new london presbyterian church and i went down to the, the basement in the pit and i found this thing this was one of the original um felt boards that many of you, if you grew up there or taught there, use with your flannel graph to teach Sunday school. So this thing is older than me. And here it is sitting there. <laughs> but kind of what's front and center of there, when you walk in, you see them on the felt board is the book of Isaiah, which where Jesus says, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, I bring good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind. Uh, liberty to their press, for the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. And so the big idea this week is that is what's available to us, regardless of who we vote for, right? we got to place our vote in a candidate, or should place our vote in a candidate, but we cannot place our hope in a candidate. So how? How do we place our hope not in a candidate but in Jesus? Big idea? You can't. What you do is you allow Jesus to place his hope in you. Hmm. So he brings us his presence, he brings us his 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 life, and he exchanges our filthy, dirty life for his perfect righteousness, and he brings hope into us that now we can walk and trust Jesus. So a couple weeks ago we had a great question of, okay, what is soul freedom? What about pre predestination? How does it all work? I mean, does God save us? Do we save ourselves? Nope. God does all the work. And at some point what happens is he he recovers our sights, right? He gives us sight where we can see him and receive him. And allow him to place his hope you know, inside of us. And then we walk in the fullness and only then of what Jesus has for us. And so the crazy aha of the scriptures is not that one day you get to go to heaven, it's that today, so it says, today these scriptures are filled. Today heaven gets to come into us. And that sounds crazy. And so it was nice as Jesus knew that when he was making these declarations, the, the religious people and the irreligious people sitting in the synagogue were filled with contempt and disgust going here it is another guy some whack job saying we can trust him yeah he can bring us favor he can bring us forgiveness and so jesus does what only can do he peers into their minds and goes ah see you you got the same judgment you're never going to experience this and and then he goes in and talks about some other people who experienced some crazy things and they were irreligious people they were not within um any of the political parties or the religious systems. And so he he shows us this widow in this pagan city who Elijah, God's uh, chosen prophet at the time, brings supernatural healing and miracles to her life and her family. And then he shows us this pagan, terrible commander of a Syrian army who would have destroyed the Jews. And he goes, and yet God sent his hope and his healing to this person, non-religious. And so he's saying to them, hey, you're really suspicious of these things. But let me show you what happens if you could possibly understand your condition, understand that you really have nothing else to lose, because right now you are in a place of uh, you know, uh, despair, and um, you're not in control. And so what would it look like to go, okay, maybe God, maybe you really can do this. What do I have to lose? What would it look like to place my, my trust in Jesus as he places his hope in us? And so that's what Jesus is calling to out to this, these folks in Nazareth, and I would argue, to us, that at some point, we have to drop our pride and arrogance, admit our condition, which is we can't fix ourselves and we can't fix our country. So every time you turn on the news and you hear about the despair that's coming, could you just pause for a second and go, yeah, we can't fix this. Yeah, this election isn't going to fix this. Half the country is going to be devastated by whatever happens next so can we turn our attention and focus to the only one who can fix this and the way by which he fixes it is first bringing hope and healing to us and then bring hope and healing through us so could this be a moment where we pause and receive his hope and healing and then we go and participate in making the invisible kingdom visible in our nation with a new president and a new king and that's jesus
0: yeah so as we look at this story like i said from week four to week five it's really a continuation like, mm-hmm. we kind of paused in the middle of going okay Jesus opens up the scrolls. He begins to speak. He he gives his stump speech, as you say. And what it looks like, and, and I I don't know if this should be the first question, but I'm going to have a little fun with it maybe, yeah. is that it, what you see is that it looks like Jesus is leaving on a positive note. Like, at least when you look at or listen yeah. to week four, it's like, oh, okay, because I think we ended with uh, 22, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? Yeah. Like. It looks good, but then you kind of turn the corner into week five, and now all of a sudden there's there's some animosity there, and it quickly, very quickly, like, turns sideways. Yeah, so imagine if you're there for the first time. So
1: what ends up happening in the, in the passage is they get really angry because he yeah. points out their arrogance, and he points out how he cared for the, the least of these, not for right. them, right? And so within, I don't know, probably 20, 30 minutes, depending on what this is, they have gone from... Wow, this is great teaching, too. Let's murder him and throw him off a cliff. Yeah. So you can imagine, like, there, I don't know, if it's a group of 100 people, this angry mob gets stirred up and they're like, how do we get here? Yeah, right. So this is a significant moment where Jesus triggers some folks, right? Like, there's some real triggering. And you know what that's like. You've seen the social media posts of so many people triggered in so many different ways that there is something in this, there is some button that is pressed that is. It's crazy. Like, there's this button that Jesus presses, and all of a sudden, there's this yeah. massive explosion, right? Yeah. It reveals what's going on in there in our hearts. So, that when we have those really massive um, reactions to this, yeah. what would be wise of us is to pause and wonder, why did I just respond in yeah. that way? And yeah. so, it makes sense. It's really helpful. Why would they respond yeah. in that way? And the answer, I believe, is because... They had an unmet expectation from Jesus, mm. right? That's how you, that's what happens with your spouse. that You really respond. So I've talked to you about this trajectory over and over again. And in the fact, that they didn't want to uh, beat it into you this week. And so but yeah. this idea that um, in, in relationships, you have unmet expectations that lead to disappointment. Disappointment, when you don't deal with it, leads to um, some sadness. Sadness leads to anger. Anger leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to resentment. Mm-hmm. And resentment eventually leads to contempt. Mm-hmm. And then you get to a place of hate, indifference, whatever it is. And so there's something in this. that They expected Jesus to do something. The reason we can understand that it was an unmet expectation because Jesus is the one who goes, no doubt what you're going to say is, right. that, you, know, prophet, uh, you know, prophet. Uh, you know, the thing about the,
0: the healing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Do yeah. You, verse 23. Physician, heal yourself. He said to yeah. said them, doubtless you will quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself what we have said to you at Capernaum, yeah. do here in your hometown. So here's what's really interesting. What, what we see there is what Jesus is kind of peering into their soul going,
1: see, you are hearing me say that something's offered to you, hope, joy, peace, all those things. But I look at you and what you are is not what I want to be. Hmm. I don't want to be homeless. Yeah. Right? I don't, I, I have too many things, right? I don't want, I don't want to go and serve other people. I want people to serve me. So you're offering all this stuff, but why don't you get your life in order first? That you look like the king that I'm looking for, and then I'll go and ask you if you can let me be a king or you know a pauper alongside you. Yeah. And so that there is there's this unmet expectation, that just boy, does it change some things real, real quick. And by the way, you're gonna see some of that, guys. Like, I'm sorry, I don't. And even in this wokeness, I don't know if I can say guys. I don't want to be the it's, sorry. It's just one of those that language that comes out of me. And I go, oh no, I'm not. I'm talking about all men and women. And I'm sorry if that. I offended you. I just got to change that vernacular a little bit. But what we are going to see is we're going to see a lot of what's revealed in people's heart over the next couple of days yeah. and maybe in our own heart, like how we respond and how to this, this general election is going to reveal a lot about where we've placed our hope. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: some of you might be overjoyed by the results of the election. And right. Perhaps you've placed too much hope in this, right? Yeah. Or some of you are going to be absolutely devastated by the results of the election. Perhaps you place too much hope in this. So, mm-hmm. what we see for these people is this kind of this great opportunity to get some personal self awareness yeah. of where we place our hope and our joy. And what Jesus is saying you got this Syrian commander and you got this hopeless widow. And what they finally mm-hmm. decide to do is uh, place their hope in the one thing God, the one person who could actually sustain them for a lifetime and beyond. Yeah. And so, Pretty neat that we get this election to kind of see where our hope and joy place. placed.
0: Yeah, I feel like I have a question that you might have already just answered, but uh, I'm curious if, if my angle kind of in, change, oh. changes it a little bit. So I feel like my question is, is so what do we do if, if believers, like I think sometimes for me, I'm surprised by my reaction to things. What if we find ourselves, you know, come tomorrow, we're like, oh my gosh, like I'm now all of a sudden disappointed. Like for me, it was, I think, the third into the fourth month of quarantine like I didn't think that I was really depressed, but when I found out that we were like going from May to June or June—I don't even remember the details—but uh, my reaction was, I was surprised or taken back by like this disappointment that I felt. And I'm so. What do we do? I guess a two-part question. What do we do if we feel that come tomorrow, come tonight, whatever that is, come this next week mm-hmm. or so? What do? How do we respond to that? But then also the other side. I, I feel like I'm thinking through the the listeners. Um, because the reality is, is that I feel like as a disciple of Jesus Christ, there's discipline and there's times where, where God says something and it truly does cut to the heart of, of what I'm dealing with. How do I respond in that moment? And then how do I respond kind of, like I said, if, if I'm all of a sudden I'm surprised by my reaction to the dis- disappointment that I'm feeling? Yeah. So,
1: um, all
0: truth belongs to God and
1: Clarity seems to be a really important thing, right? Yeah. Like, and, and, and honestly, and you would agree with this, I think. Uh, we find comfort in clarity, right? So right. walk into your closet when it's organized. You feel better about it. Walk yeah. into your office and when everything's put in its place, or your garage or your car, when things are organized, there's just this comfort that comes from that, right? right? right. Like even finally when you get to the end of your budget and you realize that you don't have en- enough income for what you're expending, Right. While that seems really rough, there is some comfort in finally understanding right. what, what's going on, getting to the bottom of something. And so, uh, emotions are really important in that. So, what our emotions do, right? So, um, they kind of reveal to us what's going on. So, that it's clarity. And so, when we have those experiences, which you will and I will, we get to actually pause for a second. go, why, why do I respond this way, right? Like, this is really important because this is scriptural. Hmm. Think about Adam and Eve. They had an expectation that, that ends up going that. In yeah. the very beginning, God says, hey, trust me, don't eat from the fruit. You know, the, the enemy, the serpent comes in and goes, ah, you'll be just like really? God if you eat the fruit. So they're like, oh, I can't wait. And so they eat the fruit. And all of a sudden, they have an unmet expectation. Wow, we're not like God. In fact, what we feel now is shame. Because we can now see as God sees. And we can see ourselves as so dirty and broken compared to that level of holiness, right? And so they have this unmet expectation. So what do they do? They go and they hide and they cower, right? And so essentially what happens, particularly when we vomit out something, we have some deep reaction to something, our our next response is to kind of avoid responsibility and you know, not apologize or just yeah. go and hide, like from the people we hurt and from yeah. God, right? And so God does something really interesting. And I think psychologists are still working on what God does in the very beginning. God goes to Adam and Eve, and he asks a very important question of, "Where are you?" This seems weird because God sees and knows all things. It wasn't like he lost them, like, "Oh no, Adam, (laughs) Eve,
0: oh no," you know that kind of thing.
1: Sorry, screaming. Um, looked at the microphone. There's not someone up above my head. Um, so it's not like God didn't know where they were. He's asking the question actually for Adam and Eve's benefit. Yeah. Hey, Adam and Eve, could you pause for a second and acknowledge where you are? So they have all these emotions, and finally they can go, well, we realized we were naked and afraid. What? You're naked, and why in the world are you afraid? Why did fear come up? And that's really kind of what we're seeing in all these reactions, that there is this button that's being pressed of our fear, And at the core, at the base of us, that fear is going to be connected to shame in some way, right? That's kind of how all of us are shaped. But it could be that you feel out of control, right? So maybe they felt that. No longer they feel in control until they're afraid. It could be that uh, they didn't have any security anymore, right? It could be that they now are so afraid that they'll never be loved because their true identity is uncovered, right? But in all those things, there is this pause to go, can you just acknowledge where you are? So I think that would be the first step in all this, whatever those emotions are, take him a moment of space to go, where am I? Yeah. Where, how'd I get here? Right? Like you would I wish I could have grabbed those people in Nazareth and gone, Hey, can we kind of do a debriefing? How do we end up on this cliff? <laughs> like, well, what was it? What was it that he said? What was it? Well, you know, he loved naming. Well, why does that bother you, right? Yeah, right. Because Naaman was dirty. Oh, okay, so you want him to love clean people? Mm-hmm. Or dirt no. If he loves clean people and dirty people, which category would you actually put yourself in? Right. Well, clean. Well, why would you be clean? Because you voted this way? Like now let's talk about all your stuff in your heart. Oh no. So eventually we get the place that yeah. God loves Naaman because he's dirty, but if we pause long enough and dig deep enough, what we'd realize is that's really good news yeah, for us, right? right? right. Because uh, if God can love Naaman, he can love us, right? Uh, the other thing is, if we pause long enough and we can realize how little control, by the way, control is a complete illusion, that we have in this world, then all of a sudden you go, finally when Naaman got there, he was finally freed. He found complete healing. So there is something about uncovering all those things and actually declaring, I can't fix me, yeah. right? We don't want to do that because the first, so I just would go, boy, when those things happen, pause. And dig a little deeper into those things instead of just, Cower and react. Go hide in the, you know, instead of hiding in the bushes, to actually do the hard work of really kind of identifying where you're at in this moment. Well, I thought that Donald Trump was going to save our country. I thought that Donald Trump was going to be I thought Joe Biden would finally yeah. get us back to this place of decency. Whatever whatever your, your, your terms are there, and the reality is neither one of them are ever going to get us to a place of salvation. Yeah. Or our country to a place of salvation. And now I got opinions of which one would do a better job of giving us the religious liberty and uh, of helping us care for our neighbors, all those different things. But at when we have that kind of reaction, it's actually really gracious because we could actually pause for a second and ask that question where are we? Yeah. Why do I do the things I do? Like, this is where. And David said, God, search my heart, oh God. Right, like, So this is an opportunity to invite God in and help us uncover where we have put our hope. Because what we're actually showing in those moments is what we worship. Control, security, safety, political ideologies, whatever those things are. And in that moment, we delay those things down and go, God, if you don't come through, yeah. then we're in big trouble. So there's something actually really beautiful about having those moments, which we all have. And so this is where you're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be disappointed. Yeah. Just says don't sin in your anger. So let's be careful yeah. there. But if you do, please don't run from God. Instead, just pause and you "Go. Know, Why do I feel what I feel?" And somewhere in there, God's going to reveal to you how you can trust Him more as you lay down those things that you've clung to so much. I was I was rethinking about. You know, I told you guys that um, or you you, you all y'all there um, that I taught the same passage
0: yeah,
1: uh, fifty two yeah. weeks ago and. So kind of book it, beginning of this, kind of what I would say is a year really difficult one for me. But at the end, I, I last time I shared the story that I've shared, I don't know, a couple dozen times as a student pastor, and um, it's a story of how monkeys are caught. You, I don't know if you're familiar with it, the, the way that monkey catchers catch monkeys is Something they right. take a gourd and they put orange pills. I don't know why yeah. you'd think it'd be bananas, but they're not, they're oranges, they put them up in a gourd, cut a hole in a gourd, and hang it in the tree, that's all they do. In a little bitty small hole and dried oranges, the monkeys come and smell it, and they go. And uh, What they do is they find it in the gourd, and they reach up, and they stick their hand in the gourd, right? Mm-hmm. So they slide their hand in, and they grab the um, the orange pills. But the minute they grab the orange pills, their, their hand gets yeah. too fat, and they can't actually get it back out, right? And so they can't get it back out. And what makes sense is they let go of those things. Right, right. I mean, they, cognitively, that just makes sense, but they don't. They just cling to it and hold on to it to the point where they just – you know, they keep tugging and pulling and eventually they're just exhausted, right? Mm. And so now the monkey trapper, catcher, whatever it is, it just walks up and puts in a cage, mm. right? So it's so crazy. The very things that the monkeys are holding on to is the very thing that's leading it to its captivity. But for some reason, it cannot. It cannot make that jump in their head because they're so consumed by that their appetite and that. And so... Much of what needs to happen for us, I think, in, in this landscape, as those things come up, is we got to figure out what is it I'm holding on to, yeah. and how do I let go of it? Yeah. So that's really the question. What am I anger? What am I arrogance? What is the what is it that I'm holding on to that i got to let go of that God can then bring me to a place of freedom and out of captivity? Yeah. So as you have those emotions, good, good, good. God's yeah. actually doing some really good work in revealing those things to you. Now just be courageous enough to do the hard work of figuring out what it is that you're clinging to, and... And um, whatever the thing is, is the very thing that's keeping you from placing your arms and your hope and your heart around Jesus.
0: Yeah, I think that's good, because one of the things we talked about in our staff meeting is that, you know, it's not just about the encouraging verses. There's a lot of discipline that disciples walk through as well. So I think that it's it, to look at it as discipline is God's being gracious to us. Uh, even in this story, I wonder what the story would have looked like had Jesus spoke this out and they go, man, what do I have to lose? Like, if they had been able to maybe, I don't know, pause in this moment to think through this, to reflect and go, man, he's right. I need to place my hope in something other than what I'm placing it in. I wonder what that would have looked like. So I just thought that that was a a great thought. As yeah, so what back. you find throughout the scriptures is Jesus comforts the afflicted, yeah. but he afflicts the comfortable. Yeah. And so,
1: yeah, imagine what it looked like for them just to fall on their knees and worship. Yeah. Well, we know it happens. We see yeah. that throughout the scriptures where people just try to get as close to him, just to fall on their knees going, he alone is worthy of this, right? You yeah. see it with Mary and Martha. One's performing and one's just literally sitting there. We see it in the story where someone brings a year's worth of wages in perfume or oil and pours yeah. it all over Jesus. And one guy goes, We could use that money to do better things. And Jesus is like, no, you can't. I'm only going to be here for a little time. So that they literally had the God of the universe in front of them. And their response was an arrogance of, you didn't do what I wanted to do. You didn't do the dog and pony show that you did in Capernaum. And since you're not going to do that, we're irritated with you. Not only do we not want you around us right now, we don't want you around anybody in the future. That's the purpose of chasing them off the cliff. So.
0: Yeah. Um, so as we continue through this, this scripture verse, and actually it just has appeared on me, um, what we see is that, so Jesus says this, and he, and he tells these two, two examples of Elijah and Elisha. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was something in that that you had pulled out um, that you said overexposure leads to an underappreciation, and actually, it might even be before you get to those two stories. But did you—is that something that you want to expound on a little bit more? Like you talk about it over the service, but yeah, I talk or- about it pretty regularly because I just think it's something
1: that we just miss, right? Like, and some of us are missing it even in our own country right now. Yeah. Got, uh, y'all, uh, the fact that right now you know, thousands of people are coming to our building today and be able to cast a vote pretty amazing throughout yeah. the history of the world that god has a, given us opportunity to speak into the type of government uh that we he would have us and our nation participate in like that's pretty significant and it is just a principle of life the more you're around something the less you appreciate it right yeah. and I, I know that growing up on the beach i knew that being out in montana just like god's beauty in that you just get used to it and lose something like even the idea that right now we're having a conversation and breathing in oxygen, right. spitting out carbon dioxide, like photosynthesis is worthy of <laughs> celebrating the creator who did those things. But it's just, we just get so caught up in our specific needs of the moment and yeah. caught up in our specific life and what we want and what we desire to lose sight of all the gifts we've had. And typically what happens is, is um, when those things appear to be... Uh, possibly lost, right? You get bad health. And you, when that happens, all of a sudden each of your days matters. You wake up with this appreciation of of what's in front of us. And so I just think that pause and that consideration of what's going on in our world and what's going on in our life is really, really important because it's, you know, it's the familiarity, breeds contempt. You see it in your family, you seeing all those things. And so, um, what seems to happen, uh, definitely for the Jews, even for us, even for um, Like our churches, we've kind of took even collective worship for granted, right? So this time last year, show up when you want to. A lot of you showed up often, you know, and now all of a sudden, even that is something we long for, the idea (laughs) of like sending your kids to school. Wow, just put them on the bus. Can't right now. And So there is something about when these freedoms, opportunities get lost All of a sudden, you start appreciating them more. And I just would say, why do we have to wait till we lose something (laughs) to appreciate it, right? That's where it makes sense. In the month of November right now, right? Which is a month to kind of reset our minds towards what we can be grateful for and thankful for. The God of the universe. That maybe we can position our mind not to think anymore about what we don't have. But start making an inventory of all the things that we do have. And all the things that you have prayed for that God has answered, right? Somehow we ask the thing, God gives it to us, and we just move on to the next thing. Could we pause long enough to consider all those things? Like That would have been really important for these guys to consider that the Messiah was right there in front yeah, of them. And right. so, there's just all those things. Asking questions like, where are you? And starting to appreciate the things you have just requires something of us that uh, we've learned to not leverage in this world, which is space and time and reflection. Yeah. So, the solution to being, not being uh, uh, underappreciative of the things we've been exposed to only happens with pause and reflection. Yeah. So there's just a lot that happens when you take space and consider all that God is doing in our lives. And so, candidly, probably you hitting pause are the X on the side of this video right now. I'm actually just spending some time considering all that God has done in your life and is doing in your life. Seems to be really important for uh depression rates and uh hopefulness and so yes i just think the solution for that is pausing and considering and appreciating what, what god's already done in our life and what he's already promised for us
0: yeah i think that's good you were making a point too you know he talked about at the end you know somebody's life at a funeral it's generosity really that's what's m- remembered it's yeah. not look at all the stuff that he had but Really, it's look at all the stuff that he gave away. And I thought that that was a really good point. You had said something, and I'm not sure if this is exactly how he said it or not, but you said Jesus will never never perfectly fit your agenda. And I think that this is part of what the listeners hear as they're listening to Jesus. Like, Jesus didn't fit their agenda at all. But then you also said, but your agenda will never fully satisfy you. Like, yeah, I think that that's a huge point that I think when you're young, you don't really think about. Like, it's not something... That wisdom doesn't necessarily come with, the, mm-hmm. you know, the the youthfulness. But with age, you start to see and you start to appreciate, hey, my agenda doesn't always bring the, the satisfaction that I'm looking for. And so it's found in something else. Yeah, so we can see right now with kids
1: in Halloween candy. Right, like right. The very thing you think is the thing yeah, you want isn't
0: going to make you feel well.
1: Yeah. And so some of us as parents are, are you know. Doing one of three things. We're eating it on, for them oh, yeah. so they don't eat it at all, right? That's <laughs> nice of us. Two, we're saying no, right? Which is,
0: yeah.
1: you know, oh the, oh, the horror, right? Like, it's <laughs> like, no, but the very thing you want is actually going to lead to your pain and sorrow, not right. to your goodness. And then the third one is we go, okay, fine, have it all. What yeah. we're doing there is not just acquiescent. Maybe we are because we're tired of hearing them. But it's like, boy, we hope there's some real... Um, yeah. awareness that right. comes from this, right? Okay, fine. Eat all this. Let's see how it plays out for you, right? And so oh, I would just say, let's not waste the awareness we get when right. we chase after our own agenda and it hasn't left us fulfilled and leaves us one thing. It's going, yeah, that's the, hey, Adam and Eve, where are you? Oh, you chased after your own agenda. What did that do for you? Yeah. Well, now we feel shame and embarrassment. Well, that's really terrible, but it also gives us an understanding of you now got some awareness that you are not in charge of your own life, that you cannot save yourself, and you need a Savior. And so all that only happens if we pause and reflect and don't react like the folks yeah, in Nazareth
0: right. do here. Yeah. So um, I'm just kind of reading through this. So the the two examples. So Jesus is, is speaking after uh, verse 24. Truly, I tell you, no prophet is acceptable in his own town. Um, but in truth, I tell you that there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah and the heavens sh- were shut up for three years, six months, and a great famine came over the land. And then and Elijah was sent to, to none of them, but only to Zephara, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. So he's giving these two examples, and you can continue to read that passage if you want. Gives these two examples of Elijah and Elisha. Is there anything more that you wanted to dive into that? Like and and I don't know if it's important to say once again, I think you said it on Sunday, but there was an order of worship, and here Jesus is offering not only the reading, but also the scripture interpretation. And the sermon. Yeah, And the sermon, yeah. So he's doing that, and he's talking about these two examples. And for us, if you don't know the backstory, there's plenty that you can read, but he uses these two but it was to get to the point. So I didn't know if you wanted to talk any more about the story. Or yeah, so that's
1: helpful. So you think about it, this is probably Jesus, you know, 10, 11 people participating in the weekly synagogue, gathering five readers of the law, one reader of the, the prophets, and some interpretation in the sermon, yeah. blessing, the end. actually very little singing. There, there's no evidence of singing there, some chanting, some recitation. Um, so what it seems like is happening here is Jesus is reading the, the prophet Isaiah, then he's offering some interpretation and a sermon, he's right. doing all those things. Um, which is pretty neat that, I mean, Jesus has given them all this stuff. But what's kind of interesting is this is pro- these two passages probably don't get covered much in the service. So, you yeah. know, we have some of those. You got Elisha and the she bears, where, you know, the kids make fun of Elisha and <laughs> go, hey, hey, Baldy. And Elisha goes, you know, Abraka Yahweh, bring out the she bears. And they come and maul the kids. Or, like, well, let's just turn the yeah, page. So, right? I don't know what Jesus so, is teaching there. Yeah, or... so you got some weird things. There's like this weird passage with Moses and it's, Zipporah's wife, and where someone's gonna die and someone's got to get circumcised. It's like, what? You know, like, so there's just passages that, you know, a lot of people just gloss over. Those are my favorites. It's like, there's so much good in this. we have got to sort through what in the world it's got doing. There's the one even where Jesus seems to say some racially inappropriate things and says, yep, those people get my dog scraps. Oh, what's going on? Lots to learn there. So there throughout history, you'll just find in a lot of churches, those things just aren't covered. Let's stick to the main, Jesus.3, he loves you. Legit. Amen, mm-hmm. right? And so there's just a lot of complications in those things, and so these probably are not passages covered very often because these Jewish rabbis uh, would have taken offense to the fact that Jesus turned his back, or God turned his back. So we're to say Jesus. Jesus shows up in the Old Testament and let's call it Christophany, appearances of Jesus, because he always was, but they didn't know Jesus then. they knew a the Messiah was coming. But so God... Uh, literally appears to turn his back on widows. Now, this is complicated because in the New Testament, James doubles down on what the Old Testament is saying in terms of how we respond in the scriptures to what he would define as true spirituality or religion. He says, taking care of orphans and widows. God didn't take care of Jewish widows. They died. Well, what do you do with that? Well, that's not something you teach on, right? And when you have a famine, the ones that uh, experience the worst amount of pains are the, the least of these, right? And so this trickle-down trickle, trickle down economy. The ones who have nothing have get nothing, right? And so they don't have anything in their cupboards. And so there would have been deep pain and sorrow. So as they're saying that, as Jesus is saying this, we're going, oh, we know those stories. How yes. dare you? In fact, that's actually our hang-up with why we don't fully trust God and feel like we have to trust ourselves because God didn't come through. And So when Jesus is showing us as why God came through in one way and not the other, because he pairs these two passages together. This, this widow in Zarephath and then this uh, army commander, and Naaman. And so you got this weak person, this widow, who, by the way, is growing up in a terrible town of deep pagan idols who worship Baal. And this is so interesting that he talks about hometowns. He's now going to reference another hometown, but of one of the worst enemies of the Jewish people in the history of the world, Jezebel. In fact, that, that spirit and that person comes up again in the New Testament, this is a significant person. This is a significant enemy in the Scriptures. And so the fact that Jesus uh, talks about how a prophet was sent to her hometown mm-hmm. where her daddy, ruled and reigned, killed his predecessor and changed his name to Asbel, meaning bells, who he worshipped. Like mm-hmm. the, the worst of the worst. He goes there and meets this one widow there. And probably on the way to get there, bypasses Hundreds of other widows, and yeah. so this is not a passage I cover very much. And yeah. but there's something in this that so you see this lady, who in deep despair, you know, like has those reactions, it has this moment of what seems to be clarity. That'd be really good for us. Who can come to grips with her condition and understand that it's completely beyond her capability of fixing this. Yeah. Those Jews in Nazareth at the synagogue were not there. They yeah. cannot see their. Complete ineptitude. Like they were completely helpless. And this is really hard for us because particularly as Americans, we don't like to admit that we can't fix something. Right? And so he he zeroes in on a lady who comes to the conclusion that she cannot fix herself and basically goes, I have nothing else to lose. So why in the world would I not trust this prophet with one meal? The worst thing that happens for me is I die a little earlier. Yeah, right. Which, by the way, is the story of the gospel. The worst thing that happens to us is we die a little bit earlier. But that doesn't make sense to us because we want our control. We have this religion that says live as long as you can and arrive as safely at death, Mm -hmm. as far off in the future. And this lady, her conclusion is the worst thing that can happen to me is I die a little sooner. Mm -hmm. Think about that. That really is the worst thing that can happen to us as believers. The worst thing that can possibly happen to us is we just die a little bit sooner. We just get to eternity. We just get to the airport a little bit sooner. That's it, right? And so but we don't think about that. We don't pause And So Jesus is zeroing in on this lady, who she finally comes to that conclusion. And as a result of coming to that conclusion, experiences this supernatural, literal resurrection power. Yeah. Not only does she get fed food and her son get fed food and they're sustained, when he dies, later on in the same passage, uh God brings this boy back to life right. in this crazy, crazy scenario, like in this foreshadowing of what's to come. Yep, the thing is, the worst thing that can happen to this lady is death, but death can't really even happen because mm-hmm. what's offered is this eternal life. And we don't actually pause long enough to, th- to think about is that really what God offers to us? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's why the scriptures say, "Oh, death, where is your sting?" It's like uh, Julie and I were talking about kind of Halloween and wrestling through. You know, you got All Saints Day, you've got witchcraft right. worship and there is some understanding that there was kind of a response to Halloween. And, you know, some cultures where Christians celebrated Halloween almost because it taunted death. Like, really? That's all you got? That's all you can bring to us? And so there's all these different worldviews of how you respond to Halloween. But it's like, yeah, that that's pretty significant. And so a lady comes to that conclusion and offers yeah. her resources to God. And God then uh, infinitely multiplies those. Like he takes... When you multiply by zero, and make something, that is that's not even that's not legitimate mathematics anymore. Yeah, and right. so it just invades that. And so I think it's pretty important to go, hey, you guys haven't arrived here yet because you're still clinging to what was and what you wanted to be, and not to the world that I can offer you. Yeah. And so this lady knows her condition and asks the question, what else do I have to lose? So we see that so significant, and that the worst thing that could possibly happen to
0: her is that she dies a little bit earlier. That's it. And so then when we look at Naaman, Naaman was like a commander of an enemy of the state, right? Like he was, he was kind of the like, why would Jesus ever? Like these are probably two stories that the Israelites don't like. So is what Jesus doing here like is, is part of the reason why potentially they become so mad is that they say or think or believe that they're the in crowd. But Jesus is going, no, you're not.
1: Yeah, they want him to make Israel great again. Yeah, Make
0: Israel great
1: again, Jesus. And he's going, let me talk about this lady. Who yeah. lived in a bell worshipping society like that? Now let me talk yeah. about this terrorist. Yeah. Right. Right. No. 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 That's like that. Yeah. yeah. So now let's talk about this terrorist who literally has taken your life. Yes. So yeah. let's. So this is not just hey you're not in the in crowd. This this is so antithetical to what they <laughs> believe the purpose of religion was. And this is why it matters so much in our election because the way that we might view these candidates and what can they do for us do for our religion do for the prosperity of the church but we we can't be interested in the prosperity of the church we have to be interested in the prosperity and movement of the gospel and where the gospel seems to take the deepest roots is in places of deep impoverishment both spiritually and physically so the reason this you got one side, this weak, vulnerable widow. Yep. Yeah. Now he's going to go and show the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. What does she do? She didn't do anything. She didn't kill her husband. He's no dad. She's weak. She has nothing. So that's one side. Now, yeah. on the other end of the spectrum of spirituality, also of a pagan, broken person who didn't love God, didn't trust God, is the guy with all the resources and power. Yeah. Right. And yet, he wasn't in control either. So if you have nothing, or you have everything, neither one of these could get what it is they actually wanted. This person right. wanted real life this person wanted real healing yeah. and neither one of them could do that because they were not god and capable so it's the other end of the spectrum he's going let me talk to you about this widow when all these other widows who couldn't acknowledge their their need for a savior couldn't acknowledge that within all in judaism right uh, and then let me talk about how he bypasses those and let's go on the other side this guy who was the dirty broken guy but he had nothing right The yeah. like, really interesting thing about that story is when he goes to the king and says he's going to see elisha the king's like Load up the chariots. Yeah, give them all right. these gifts. He yeah. goes with all these things going, I can give you all these resources to fix you. But what he knew is he couldn't fix himself. Yeah. So a guy with all the resources who couldn't pay for the very thing he was longing for, or the person without any resources who couldn't pay for the thing he was longing for. God of the universe is the only one that can supply those things. Yeah. So he's he's showing the whole spectrum of people on, on both sides. What we see here is both of them understand their condition, they both can acknowledge that they can't fix the place. Right. And then they have to surrender the things that they cling to yeah. for survival. On one side, this lady just had a little bit of bread. She surrenders her very best thing for what God can offer her. Uh, for Naaman, he surrenders this one thing, his power, his authority, and his pride. And he submitted that in almost humiliation. Like, I'm going to go get in your dirty water, yeah. and I'm going to dip seven times. And this is this is hitting deep the yeah. pride of this Syrian commander yeah. who, through humiliation and pain, finally comes to the conclusion that he can't fix himself. Yeah. And so, I would just offer to us, why do we have to get to the place of complete you know, despair in mm-hmm. our pride or in our resources before we finally call to God and go, God, you're the only one who can save.
0: Yeah. Uh, and what I uh, appreciate in this story of Naaman specifically is that he was, pride. He was proud, but then you see his response mm-hmm. like, even complaining to his, like, I guess that's his armor bearer or his servant, yeah. whoever it is. Like, wow, I can't believe I'd have to do this. And servant bearer says, like, well, what do you have to lose? Yeah. So like, it's the same thing. It's like, hey, like, again, this is why pausing for a
1: second and getting yeah. people in our lives to ask those questions. Because yeah. he, it was hard for him to come to this conclusion. Yeah. And actually couldn't come to it on his own. Yeah. Had some people around him that finally he
0: goes, yeah, I mean. But he experienced healing, even though he was prideful and didn't think it would work. Yeah. But he was obedient, and I guess the rest follows. So I feel like I find comfort in that of going, and because I I think that that's probably my default, is that I'm pretty proud. Oh, absolutely.
1: That's definitely what I would say it is.
0: I'm pretty (laughs) prideful. So I just, in obedience, there's something that happens that it's, even in that, there's like, oh, there is hope for me, right? Like, God is always there for those that wants, he wants people to be humbled before him, and that's what we have to do to experience salvation. Yeah, that's
1: why I love um Man, I think there's some really neat stuff in terms of like AA. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, you know, first step is literally come to the conclusion that you are incapable of fixing yourself. Like, yeah. you're, you're, you're powerless, is the word. But I think it's step seven, I don't know specifically, but you, or whatever one of the steps is to do a fearless moral inventory. Mm. I Meaning you have to actually look and make kind of an assessment of where you are in your moral inventory. There's just something about that introspection. If we do it truthfully, if we actually survey ourselves honestly, we will come to a conclusion that we are not near as good as we'd like for people to believe. Right? I think yeah. it's Tim Keller who goes, we're, we're far worse than we could ever imagine, but we are far more loved than we could also ever yeah. hope for. So, But that starts with this. Boy, if you do the deep dive of actually dealing with your own soul and bankruptness, Then it leads you to one of two places where you can finally get there. Either there is no hope,
0: Hmm.
1: or, which is just a place of deep despair. Or, what it is you're longing for is available, but it's only available in the God of the universe. And if that's the case, it would make sense that the only way that could happen is if there was a Savior who would step down and take the place for us. That's why Jesus is so significantly different than every other religion. Because every other religion tells you that you can maybe perform well enough. Yeah. But if you come to the conclusion finally that you cannot perform well enough, you got to start looking for a savior who performed on your behalf. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is the only savior in all the worldviews who steps down and actually performs
0: perfectly on our behalf. Yeah, that's good. Um, as so, verse twenty nine. I wrote, and I think we've already covered this. Like uh, my question was, is what what is our response to blind spots? Because in, in verse twenty nine it says, uh, or maybe even twenty eight. And when they heard these things. All of the synagogue, uh, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, which I thought that was an interesting word, wrath, like not anger, like it's wrath, um, yeah, yeah. like they need to do something about it, like it's not just I can go home and I'll, I'll eventually get over it, no, it was wrath, it was immediate, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of a hit on the hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him off the cliff. <laughs> Like, I just, it's oh a fascinating God. story yeah. to go from, like, man, it seemed in verse 23. Yeah, that was good teaching. teaching. <laughs> I need my brother-in-law to hear this. Yeah, to, like, all right, we're throwing them off the cliff. Like, yeah. let's get rid of them. We're done.
1: Yeah, so I think this is really important. And the way that, like, it's just, you see emotion in yeah. this. And particularly for dudes, we've been taught to just kind of suppress our emotions, right. right? Just push through, right? In. What I wish we would do for all of us is not be controlled by our emotions, right? That's, so that's one of the... The response, the overcorrection to emotions is because I've been controlled by them, Mm -hmm. I'm now not going to allow them, Mm -hmm. I'm going to suppress them completely, Mm -hmm. right, on both ends. And maybe you can see that as male-female thing on those spectrums. I'm not saying it always is, but maybe that's part of the thing. What I would say is emotions are something we have to leverage right and so the way that i wish we'd see emotions is kind of as a dashboard like imagine your car you got all these different lights that you know that's about to be empty The the gas light comes on oh gosh you gotta change the o2 sensor you don't really but for emissions you better i guess or oh man there's a check engine light there's all these different things and uh, all those things kind of just show us what's working well lots of gas or what's not working well and so we got to see our emotions in light of those things right and so our emotions are a dashboard to tell us what's working well and what's not so when we have deep sadness and pain, right, we go, the whole purpose of pain in our body is to reveal to ourselves that something's off. So we see that pain and we start considering, what is it in that pain? That's how many of you go to counseling. That's how many of you started going to church. because You're going, there's something off and I don't know what it is, but I need to figure out what, I need to diagnose the problem and then I need to find a solution for it. So emotions are really helpful there. So you see that wrath and go, oh, wrath is never a good emotion. Right, and so you go. Well, what is that? That's where we got to pause. And I wish these folks would a pause and go. Okay, why are we so angry? Right, and so we got to see these emotions and leverage them as a dashboard, and they will reveal to us what's wrong. And somewhere in it is an unmet expectation and a hope deferred that has not fulfilled you. Right, and that's why I go back to C.S. Lewis's statement over and over again. If you find in this world that nothing has satisfied you then perhaps it's because you're meant for a different world. So we finally get there. We finally get to that. We don't just respond. We don't just react. We pause and we consider those things, which is why the next couple of days are going to be really important to Christians mm-hmm. and to our church. When those things pop up, see it as a dashboard and go, okay, what is this revealing about me? Is it revealing to me that I place my hope in a place that I shouldn't? Or Man, I'm actually really at peace and content in this. Why, why do I have that kind of love? Because you've actually tethered yourself to the place that you can have hope and joy. And so let's do the hard work of identifying why we have the emotions we have. And then let's go take those emotions, lay them at the feet of Jesus, and go, would you supply to us? Let's see these things as a loaf of bread going, here you go. Here's all the bread I have. Here's all the oil. I have nothing else. But would you take this and you say, okay, God, I don't understand this, but I'll go dip in the water seven times. Because these emotions, these things I can't fix. Let me go and... Lay them in front of you. And so let's see these things, this wrath, these things, as as a revelation, right? So when you see Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, it says, where there's no vision, people perish. Or where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. So let's take these emotions and see them as God revealing some to us. And let's ask the God of the universe to give us real revelation. And then would we not cast off restraint. But would we keep his word and his law as a result of trusting him in it. So emotions... Not a bad thing, not a good thing.
0: Just a clarity thing. Yeah. So, yeah. so it, I love how it ends too. It says so, so. They're about to throw Jesus off a cliff. Verse where he says, "But passing through their midst, he went away." Like, yeah, Paul. Think about that. <laughs> you re- like, what did you do next? Did you just go away? Like you yeah. literally tried to kill him, and he just disappeared. Yeah. Shouldn't like, you consider that? Shouldn't you go? Because they're worked up too. So you're angry, and now it's just like, like, what do you do then? How do you deal with I mean, I that? I don't know. Right? You go and grumble,
1: right? I guess. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's one of the things I'm embarrassed by is like having conversations at lunch after church growing up of just kind of, you know, um, dissecting the pastor's sermon, right, like just right. the things I disagree with or irritating. It's like, oh man, how in the world did that become our focus? Yeah. So didn't even pause and go, what could God have taught me in that? It's like, what could he have done differently? But that church service, that person singing, all these things that just... Yeah weren't beneficial to actually growing. And these guys, they just probably go and they kind of, you know, do their complaining and moaning and they satisfy themselves because they justify their feelings with one another instead of actually pausing and going, we just saw a miracle. Yeah. The very thing that upset you is you won a dog and pony show, and you didn't get one. Instead, he points <laughs> out our arrogant, uh, your arrogance. But then he goes and does the miracle. But yeah. you're so caught yeah. up in your emotion that you don't actually see right. the work of God at work
0: around you. And so emotions are, can't control us, but boy, can they reveal something to us. Yeah, I just thought that that's amazing. Yeah. That it's Jesus literally <laughs> turns in—I don't know—turns into a ghost, and then he's like, "Okay, I'm back." Yeah. Like, I, it, you're right. They were looking for a miracle, didn't get one, got upset got one and didn't see it so i I did think the last thing that i'll say before uh, i think we're probably about to wrap up shortly but um was that uh, you made a point on on the message that you said we need to be set free we all need liberation and that this passage while it was for them thousands of years ago, it's also for us today. And I thought that that was a great point. Yeah, so that's the hard thing here. And even I'm worried about just this conversation here because it's like, all oh, them
1: Jews, there's Nazarites, yeah, right. you know, they don't know what they're doing. And it's right. like, oh, no, 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 we no, 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 that's right. us. Like, this is, we can't sit here and armchair quarterback Right. those folks. Like, we are doing the exact same thing. Right. We are missing the point that when Jesus showed up, but yeah. they were so angry, but they weren't hearing is that they were enslaved by their own anger and their own bitterness and their own expectations. And Jesus was actually going, I came to set you free in this. So what you got to hear here is not some mean indictment over you. Jesus loves you. Even if you want to throw him off a cliff, he literally, (laughs) in a worst experience, over and over again, people try to murder him. His response is always, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So his perspective of you if you don't believe any of this stuff is oh would you forgive them they i want to recover sight to him or her i want to help them see and so there's just something beautiful about this so this passage of freedom and liberation and that's what he came to do he is looking at your heart and soul and going that's my child whom i am well pleased and i want them to experience all the hope and joy and peace that's available to them now and to all eternity so the worst thing that can happen is we can read this passage and not identify as the oppressed and the that which is yeah. captive. Right. So that whole platform is pretty you-centric. Yeah. It's so that you can find freedom. That's one of what Galatians yeah. says. It's for freedom. Christ to set you free, so that we can receive the freedom of that and then go and participate in the setting of captives free through yeah. the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah,
0: that's good um that's pretty much all the time i guess any final thoughts anything that you wanted to add or anything that you didn't get to say on sunday that as we kind of wrap up that you wanted to finish with
1: yeah I, I, if you joined us on sunday and kind of leaned into the whole thing i just think when we get to a place and i, I want to be careful not to like fall into this mysticism that i can't quite explain but we get to a place where at the very end we get to participate in communion together mm-hmm. and what I am concerned about for our nation and for our church is that we've lost sight of a God who is beyond comprehension and beyond explanation. Mm-hmm. And so as we see Jesus, what he offers to us when we do communion, is that what he's really offering us is this real and tangible presence now. And that gets really, really complicated because like, we even say things in Scripture, particularly when it's like a unity, says, when two or more are gathered in my name, He's present. Here's what's really complicated, just to point it out. Got some people online uh, interacting, got people on Facebook, got you and I here, and it's so easy to just forget that we're talking about Jesus, learning about Jesus, and forgetting that He's actually here to be seen. One of my deep fears for us on Sundays is we could get so caught up in learning about Jesus and doing the work of the church that we forget to actually invite Jesus into our life and into our family, into our marriage, and then our day. And so... The whole goal of the gospel is that you and Jesus would be together forever and that's available now and so what I just would challenge you on is we think about communion but think about every day is I can't quite explain it the same way Naaman couldn't understand it with with the seven dips in the water or the widow at Zarephath couldn't understand how one piece of bread and a little bit of oil can multiply in the way that it did. I can't quite explain to you about how Jesus' presence manifests itself in our lives. I do believe it to be wholeheartedly true and What ends up happening for us, me, and uh, probably you too, is that because cognitively I can't quite explain it and it hurts my head to think about, I just stop thinking about it Mm -hmm. or desiring to experience it. And I would just tell you throughout this season, particularly over the election, would you invite Jesus' presence, that means just sitting still, into your life and go, God, even if I can't feel it, even if I can't explain it, even if it seems like I'm not experiencing it, I am trusting that you are with me? Can we start every day? Can we even start this moment? Can we start every time of bedtime? Would you just continue to acknowledge that Jesus wants to make himself available to you in a real intangible way and not some ethereal or mystical way? So we can't explain it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't consider it. Because when we stop considering it, we're just like the widows in Jerusalem are naming prior to that moment of transformation. And so can we start expecting his presence, and then I think as we start expecting it, he'll start showing it to us. So let's start with expectation, and let's actually believe that Jesus decided and has came up with a way to make his presence through his spirit available to you
0: today. So God's available to you. You should look for it. You should invite him. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's about all the time that we have, my friends. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time. Appreciate you kind of spending it with us. Yeah. i really hoping and praying that this is something that helps continue to grow your faith, and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. If you do have any questions for us, as always, we are interested in, in engaging this new online platform that we're kind of trying out. Um, allows you to engage and interact with us even live. That's what you saw me kind of doing over here a little bit. So if you have any questions, feel free to let us know over time at clcfamily.church. You can text us again, 610-869-2140. Or next time when we go live, you can interact with us even by our Watch Live tab on our website. So Thanks for joining us today. If you are not catching us live, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And again, hope that you're growing in your faith. Thanks for joining us. Hope to see you this weekend. Yeah, hope to see you then. Thanks.